So this morning, we are starting a new sermon series, and um, Sandy picked the perfect song. The, the one we just sang, I think, captures what we're going to be talking about. The, we're going through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be looking at what Jesus says and does in the midst of Mark that will um, show us what he's really like who he is, and what he's about. So our passage today is Mark 1, 1 to 8. And I'm reading from the ESV, and the words are on your screen. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before you, before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey, and he preached, saying, After he come, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is God's word for us this day. I'm going to start with something different. So, imagine for a moment that you are a follower of Christ living in the Roman Empire in the first century. You have put your faith in Jesus, the Savior, whom you've recently heard about. Whom you've recently heard about, but things are dangerous. And you have to be careful about who you talk to about your new faith. So now imagine. Two strangers meet at the marketplace in the Roman form and start up a conversation. Hello, friend. Beautiful weather today. I see you have some nice apples. <laughs> the first stranger casually makes a semicircle mark in the sand with a stick while the conversation continues. Yes, I enjoy my apples. Is the bread fresh this morning? Fresh bread is nice for important gatherings. The second person also makes a semicircle mark in the sand, forming a fish shape. The two strangers exchange glances of recognition. Oh, praise God, a fellow Christian. Greetings, sister. Do you know where we are gathering for worship tonight? The Lord is good. We're, we're meeting south of the city in the catacombs at sundown. Okay, good. See you tonight. One of the Christians brushes away the sand to clear the image, and they both casually resume their errands in the city. Can we get a quick hand for our... Uh... So, I want to explain that. Why would that symbol, that fish symbol, symbolize, tell us 
about how would they, how would they know then they are Christians? And so it, it starts with the Greek word called ichthus. And so there on the screen is what it looks like in Greek. It's five letters, iota, chi, theta, upsilon, sigma. And so those are the five letters, and that's, that's, it spells out ichthus. Now, ichthus is just a simple Greek word. It means a fish. But it's the five letters form an anagram. So we can go to the next slide. So I know that's probably hard to read. This is also on your handout. But iota is, uh, it looks a little bit like our I. Iota is the first word for Jesus. In Greek, it's Jesus. Starts with an, uh, an iota, Jesus. So uh, Jesus. The second letter, a chi, is Christos, or Messiah. So Jesus, Messiah, or Christ. And then the next two words together, Theos, theta for theos, and upsilon for huios. Theos, huios is son of God, God the son. So Jesus, Messiah, son of God. And then last word is for sigma is soter, meaning savior. So ichthus is an acronym, not anagram, acronym that tells Jesus Christ, son of God, Savior. And so for the believers, that the fish became their secret symbol, especially in the Roman Empire, as they really did have to hide sometimes in their, their times of worship. And it's how Mark starts off his gospel. He says, This is the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, it doesn't say Savior, um, but if it's good news, it's good news because he came to bring salvation to his people. And Mark is the first one to put, put the story of Jesus into writing. The story had been spreading um, for 30 plus years. Mark wrote in about somewhere between 60 and 70 AD. And the story of, had spread from the Jewish city of Jerusalem throughout different directions, but especially up into the Roman Empire, into the Greek and Roman territories. And people talked about it. It got proclaimed in the cities. But Mark was the first one to, 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 to write it all down in a story form. And Mark had just been a boy. In fact, his name really was John Mark. But there's so many Johns in the Bible, he basically becomes known as Mark. And, and so Mark who was a boy in the time when Jesus walked, he worked with Peter, Simon Peter. And it's likely he wrote his gospel when Peter was in Rome facing trial and would, would eventually be martyred. So, so he, you know, before Peter would be gone, he would put the story that he got from Peter into writing. Now you might say, but wait a second. I, I, I opened my Bible and it says Matthew's first. Well, when they put the Bible together, they didn't really re recognize who wrote first or, or why. Uh, why do most scholars think that Mark is first? Well, it's, it's the simplest of the Gospels in that it focuses on what Jesus said and did. There's a little teaching 
um, especially we get to Mark 4, some parables, and, and there's things that Jesus responds to, but Mark spells out the story of what happened first. And then what Matthew did is Matthew had some other things, especially some of the parables, and Matthew was concerned about how, how do we follow Jesus. So he, he followed the story of Mark. If you read Matthew and Mark, they look kind of similar. Mark, Matthew takes Mark and then adds what he knows. And then Luke, he knew some other stories. He had learned some other things that Jesus had done. And so Luke takes Mark and follows the basic story of, of Mark. And then John, got to love John. John was one of the 12, so he was there. And he says, well, I'm going to tell my story my own way. I ain't going to bother with Mark. And, and so he, his gospel looks different because John's an old man saying, here's what I remember. Here's what stuck out to me. And John remembered the conversations. So you'll find a lot in John, it's a lot of conversations. But in Mark, what do we have? We have what Jesus said and what he did. And so starting... Really, we're just going to cover mostly verse 1, the beginning of the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So the first, first word of ichthus, Jesus, Jesus. Now that's in Greek. Um, Jesus and his disciples would have spoke Hebrew or Aramaic. Aramaic was kind of the common tongue at the time, but Hebrew was the official language of the Jews. And, and Jesus is the Greek form of Yeshua. Yeshua was not an uncommon name. There would have been other Yeshuas walking around uh, Galilee at the same time as Jesus. So it's a kind of a, not an not especially uncommon name. But I was thinking about this. What if you got to pick your name? You think Jesus, the eternal son of God, knew he would be coming? He got to pick his name, right? If you, if you could... Um, change what your name is. Like, if you had a chance to pick your name from before, would you pick the one you have? Who would, who would, who would keep the name they have? Who would pick a new one? So, we, we sometimes do that just by, by taking a nickname, right? So, I, um, my name, you know, I'm Pastor Mitch, you know. But when I was a little kid, I was Mitchell. And there was a problem. Back in the day before they had, you know, advanced computers, the, the readout sheet for the teachers would always leave off the last L. So the first day of school, is this is some kids that have the first day of school tomorrow, right? The first day of school would be, is Michelle Reed here? Can Michelle Reed please raise their hand? And so I became Mitch, and I cannot go by the name Mitchell. I just, so anyways, don't call me Mitchell. But Jesus got to pick his own name. Yeshua is a variant of Joshua. And again, Joshua is a common Old Testament name. And it actually means salvation. Or as a variant of that word, he saves or salvation. So actually it is, the, the Savior idea is in, in Mark 1.1. 1, 1. Um, but he had a human name, a regular name. But this was God stepping into history. He stepped into a specific time and place. The God who is the invisible, immortal, almighty God, the one who's above all things and through, sees all of time, stepped into a specific time and place 
and took on a name. He's not going to come back every generation. It's not going to be like this repeated event. Jesus came. And now, what a beautiful name it is. Galatians 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under law. And was born in a natural way. He was fully human, even though He was fully God. So Jesus, the second word, Christ, is the Greek form of the word Messiah. So the Jews had been waiting for their Messiah. Jesus was not born into any random people group, but came as the Jewish Messiah, the one people that God had been working with over the centuries to reveal himself. I... um, I want to make this, this thought, put this thought in your head. The story of Jesus fits into the larger story of God's plan of salvation for all humanity. It's not just, well, God has to say, I have to pick a people, I, I'll make him uh, uh, French, you know, or I'll send him to the Russians or anything. Like, there's something going on. And, and we see that right away because Mark expands. The first thing he talks about, you know, verse 1 is really the title. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Um, and then it begins the story. And it actually starts with a man named John who was baptizing people into the Jordan. And so um, it, the, there's a few things interesting. John is in the manner of the Jewish prophet. He dresses like Elijah, the prophet. People would immediately thought when they saw John and how he lived out in the desert, they would have thought of Elijah. Because Elijah did similar things. And so here is the prophet, this messenger from God, who's speaking to them, and he's saying, get ready. He's coming. You know, the word, word repent, in a sense, means get ready. You better, you better get, get, get your direction right. Get ready. He's coming. The one we have been waiting for is almost here. You, you're impressed with what I'm doing. I can only baptize with water. He's going to bring something completely new. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One interesting thing I just noted. Um, Mark doesn't, he seems to think his audience already knows about John. Like, we give him the title John the Baptist, but he would have been somewhat famous. Like, at when Mark wrote, like when he said John was baptizing in the wilderness, oh yeah, that John. Yeah, we all know him. Not a lot of people have that one word name that everyone would know, but, but John did. And, and so John, this, this popularity of John out in the desert is, is God's way of setting up Jesus, setting up the coming of Messiah. But, but John is pointing ahead because Jesus is the apex of the story. In him, the purposes of God would be fulfilled. If you go through the whole Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the world, he creates people, and then it's all good. But starting at Genesis 3, people move away from God. They, they turn away, they, they sin, they do wrong. By Genesis 11, people of that day don't know who God is. They're worshiping all these other gods, they've all spread out, they don't know the God of the universe. And so God has to figure out, how do I reintroduce myself to these people? How do I, 
How do I explain myself? When they'll just get confused and think I'm one of these other gods that they worship. And here's how God does it. He picks one man, Abraham. And beginning with Abraham, he forms a nation of people. And, and he begins to teach them his character, his nature, his laws, what he, what he values. Um, in some ways, God gives them direct teaching, but it's almost how they interact with God. The, this, the Jewish, the people of Israel, or the Jewish people, how they interact. God begins to convey himself. He's revealing himself. But all along, he even said to Abraham, I'm revealing myself to you now because one day you're going to be a blessing to all nations. The goal is to reveal himself starting with this one people so that all nations might know him. And so the Messiah was born. It's the Jewish people. It's part of a long story that God had been working. It's the apex of the story. It's the climax of the story. Jesus Christ, Son of God, he's not just for the Jewish people. In fact, that's one of the things the, the, the Jews of Jesus' day have trouble understanding, that, that the message will go beyond them. They, they misunderstand that part. But he is the Son of God, the Theos Quias. The Jewish people, that would have been a tough thought. One thing to say he's the Messiah, that's a pretty big claim. But to say that he's the son of God, because they knew God is immortal, invisible, almighty God. He's, he's beyond what they could understand. And for him to become a human being. In the Greek and Roman culture, and by the time Mark was writing, the church was a mix of both Jews and pagans, non-Jews. That would have been a concept that had some familiarity. Because, I don't, I don't know if you know the stories in mythology but the Greek and Roman gods were having sons and daughters all over the place. Like uh, Aphrodite is the daughter of Zeus and somebody, and Hercules is, is one of the sons of a god. Like the, so the idea of a son of a god, but they don't have this concept of God as above all things. They have these lowly conceptions of God. So, so to say that Jesus is the son of God would have meant different things to the different people who, who wrote that. And so what, John is, or what Mark is going to do is as he tells the story, he's going to convey what does it really mean that Jesus is the Son of God. What does that mean? And you'll see it by what he does. Mark shows us that Jesus is the Son of God by what he says and what he does. Jesus doesn't actually go around doing amazing things. Like if I was the Son of God, I'd be like, okay, you want proof? All right, the sun's going to be purple today. You know, right? You could do things and just sort of like whatever you wanted. You know, he had that. He could have done it. But Jesus doesn't go around, hey, look what I can do. He, he does a lot of miracles that show his power, but he never does them to show off. In fact, a lot of time he downplays it. He brings a young girl back to life who had been dead. And then he says, oh, no, no, no. She was just asleep. Right? He downplays what he does. Why? Why doesn't Jesus... You show off a little bit. You know, give people absolute proof that he's the son of God. I think because he wanted them to see the truth, discover the truth for themselves. He wants them to see what he was doing and how he treated people and, and see it for themselves. And that's what Mark shows. 
in his word, in his, in his story. You see, at the beginning, it says this is the Jesus Christ, the Son of God. At, at the apex of the story, the climax, when Jesus is killed, he's killed by a Roman centurion, is the one in charge of his death. And that centurion, um, when he sees how Jesus died, said, surely this man was the Son of God. The Roman, who, who had no knowledge of any of the stuff, said, this guy was different than anyone else. He must be the Son of God. That's what, that's what the Lord wants. He wants us to get to know him. Say, this is like no, he is like no other. He must be something different. But he's not only the Christ and the Son of God, he's also the Savior. Jesus came to bring salvation to any and all who would turn to him. He came to open up the door to eternal life. Mark starts off saying this is the beginning of the gospel, which really just meant the good news, the good report, the good message. If you, you know, if your, your military won a great victory in a city far away, they would bring back an, ev- an evangelion, a, a, a gospel message that would say, hey, we won the victory, we were successful. And so this is the beginning of this good news that something incredible has happened. The gospel is the story of Jesus and how he fulfilled God's plan of salvation for humanity. Um, Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew then to the Gentile, then to the rest of the nations. Saying it's the power of God means it's the means by which God has chosen to accomplish his will. The the sharing of the good news of Jesus, the story of Jesus, is how God is going to change people's hearts and lives. It's how he's going to bring salvation to to people. Um, It starts with the Jews. He's the Messiah. But it's, it's open for all the nations, all the peoples. And we see that in a way, maybe you notice something. You know, I keep talking about Greek, right? That's, that's what the language of Ichthus is and the language of the Bible. What, what language did the Jews speak? Hebrew. Or they some say that Aramaic can become common, which is a, like a dialect of Hebrew. Um, what about the Romans? What do they speak? The Romans are the ones who conquered that, who ruled the Holy Land. Did they speak Greek? Well, their core language was Latin. So, so why do we keep talking about Greek? Why is that? Um, why, why is that? And I would suggest it's, it's because ultimately because of one person from 300 years before. Alexander the Great. Alexander was the king of Macedon who with his Greek armies swept through and overthrew the the empires of his day, the the mighty Persian empire. He defeated them as well as he went to Egypt and was declared the, the pharaoh of Egypt. And so Alexander brought Greek language and Greek culture to all this Middle Eastern territory and all the Mediterranean world became this common language then 
and the Greeks um, brought their culture, and it lasted all the way up into the Roman era. In fact, yes, the Romans had Latin, but Greek was the language of the empire in their day. And so, um, this, what God did is he gave them a common language that would connect people in Syria and Palestine and, and all that area. The same with Rome and then to the empires of the east. He created this common language. And Greek is a, is a very sophisticated language and it had the ability to communicate theological concepts that, that made it a, a, a great language to use. Um, what I would suggest is God was engineering history for the coming of his son. He, he enabled things to, to happen in a way that set up so that when Jesus came, it was the right time. He sent his son. Not only you have the Greek language, but you also have Roman roads. The Romans, this, this one city seems to have conquered all these areas and, and set up roads and aqueducts and, and brought really a sense of peace for a couple hundred years during this time so that the message of, the, of Jesus, once it was, it was out there, it could spread um, naturally by traders and, and all of that because of the Roman peace that had, been, that had all this. But Jesus is the hinge of all that God is doing. He, he engineered everything to set things up. And, and he was only, Mark describes three years of ministry. From, from the time he started preaching to his death is a three years of work. And almost half of that is the, the story of his final week leading up to his death. Um, God did not send Jesus so that people would start taking religion more seriously. He came, he sent Jesus to change the way we relate to God, the way we live. And most of all, he came to change us from the inside out. The problem God had to deal with us is deep inside. There's three things I want us to take away from this series as we, as we go through Mark. The first is simply this. I want you to know him better. I want you to, as we look at the stories, I, I think we, if we grow up in church or we're around church enough, we kind of hear things about Jesus, we start to take things for granted. I want you to try to set that aside and, and think about like, why is it that way? I want you to learn new things about Jesus from this story and, and get to know him better and maybe even fall in love with him more. The second thing I want you to do, want us to do, is that we would learn together how to follow him. We're going to look at what he did with his disciples and how he taught them. I want us to, as we engage with the story, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What would it be like if I, I not only learned his teachings, but started to put them into practice? And I don't think that's something we do well on our own. I think that's something we could do in our conversations with others, whether it's the Bible studies or life groups, that, that we can help each other learn how to do that. And then the third thing, third thing I hope you really start taking from this is... I want you to become better at talking about him. Understand the impact that he made in his own time. And think about how can we share Jesus within our culture. I think it's a difficult time to, to talk about Jesus 
in our land. Maybe there's been other times where it was easier in the 50s and 60s. But I think in order to speak into our culture and get people's attention and, and get them to take a second look at Jesus, I think we've got to learn how to do that. And I want, I want us all to get better at that. And I want to um, share a quick story. Maybe you noticed something. It's been two years now. But someone who did uh, manage to speak a, a message. Um, do you all know who Chris Pratt is? He's like the most famous actor. He's the Guardians of the Galaxy guy. He's a Jurassic World guy. What else to do? Legos? Anything else? Parks and Rec. Yeah, that's where you got to start. But yeah. Um, so, so I guess he's a Christian. And uh, I've, you know, I've read, read some things about that. Um, I, I want to argue whether he's a perfect Christian or not. That, that's okay. None of us are. But um, he was given an award by MTV um, a couple years ago. And his little speech was interesting. And I think it was actually kind of genius. He, he gives his nine rules. He jokingly talks about how I, I am your elder and, and I respect the responsibilities of your elder, so listen up. You know, he's talking to the, youth, the generation of the youth. And he gives these nine rules, and I won't go through them all. He goes back and forth between serious and non-serious. He, he, he knows his audience. He knows what he has to do. And he, he talks about some crude stuff like poop. Like, seriously, this is the, one of the best little messages about God that you could think of, and, and half of it is about poop. So, anyways. Um, but what he's doing, and he, and he tells one of his rules is this. When giving a dog medicine, put the medicine in a little piece of hamburger. They won't even know they're eating medicine. That's what he's doing. He's putting a message in this humor and even, you know, that juvenile humor. So they'll take in the message. And so here's rule number two. You have a soul. Be careful with it. Huh. Um, later, let's see, let me see which ones. Um, number six, God is real. God loves you. God wants the best for you. Believe that, I do. Hmm. Then he talks about, I won't say the word again. So, and then number eight, learn to pray. It's easy, and it's so good for your soul. Hmm. And so the, la and the last one just says, in this country, we, uh, we have a grace that was paid for with someone else's blood. And that could be interpreted many ways, but I wonder if he's even hinting at, you know, the Savior. I share this to, to just the thought of what would it take to be able to speak into people who are skeptical? Because Jesus came as the Savior for, for all people, even those who don't know they need him. So I want us to know him better. I want us to learn how to follow him because I don't think our words will matter if we're not learning to live it. And I want us to get better at talking about them to the people around us. The people who made Let me close. Father, I thank you 
that Jesus Christ is the most exciting person who's ever lived, that, that your son came into this world, and, and because of him, everything is different. Everything has changed. Lord, help us be more excited about him than we ever have, that we might, might know him, love him, follow him, and share him within, within a dark and lonely world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we close, let's stand and sing together.